0: Welcome to Lay of the Brand, where we talk with the experts on tech marketing, creative, and PR to learn what's new, what's working, and what's next. On this episode, entrepreneurial dreams are alive and well, but can they become reality in these uncertain times? To land venture dollars, you need to outshine the competition and demonstrate your worth. That's especially true during a pandemic, when in-person pitches, sales meetings, and rooms full of engineers coding into the night seem like relics of another time. But investors are still looking for great ideas and great companies to deliver them. And they're still making funding decisions that could launch the next household name. I'm Peter Jacobs of Merit Group. And to find out how entrepreneurs are getting the attention of the investment community, we're joined by Eric Engineer, venture partner with S3 Ventures, the largest VC focused on Texas. He's here to provide a pulse on the market and share insights into how startups can win over VC decision makers. Eric, thanks for talking with us. Thanks for having me, Peter. To start, could you give us some background on S3 Ventures and tell us a little bit about yourself also?
1: Yeah, happy to. Um, As you said, we're the largest venture capital firm focused on Texas. We've been around 14 years. Uh, We manage uh, closing in on $600 million of assets under management. Um, we're unique in that we're backed by a single multi-billionaire family. So it's a pretty unique model. We have one limited partner that has funded us uh, over those 14 years. And, and that really provides a lot of flexibility uh, when you think about the fact that we don't have to go fundraising every few years. We can focus on our portfolio and meeting great entrepreneurs. It also means that the size of our funds and, and, the, and the age of our funds are not limited in any way, we can extend them uh, as needed, and so that provides also more flexibility to do what's right by, uh, by the founders that we work with, and never doing unnatural things like having to sell prematurely <laughs> or run out of cash for a certain investment. Um, in terms of uh, stages, we do seed, A, and B rounds. Uh, that means we can write a two hundred and fifty k check uh, into a convertible note. We can write a three to five million dollar check into leading a Series A, and uh, we can also write a ten million dollar check uh, to lead a Series B. Uh, In all cases, we like to follow on for the life of a company. And in some cases, when, you know, companies that are going to pre-IPO and have like larger growth rounds, um, our limited partner will come in and write some checks as well. So we can really kind of support a company from the very early days all the way to when it grows really large. Uh, In terms of sectors, um, our our hypothesis is Texas. We believe in in Texas entrepreneurs and and the market here. So we're pretty broad in terms of sectors, though I would say, I'd say about Two thirds of our investments, you know, the forty something investments that we've made, about two thirds of them have been in that B two B software space. Uh, But we've also done some consumer digital experiences and some healthcare technology, which includes um, medical devices as well as healthcare IT. So, uh, you know, if there's software in it, that's that's probably the secret sauce for us. But uh, we'll look at things kind of that that maybe have software components as well.
0: And what's your background?
1: Yeah, my background. Uh, I joined the firm about two years ago. Uh, prior to that, I was CEO at one of the portfolio companies. Uh, there's a company called Invoto that was pioneering the use of video in e-commerce. So we take it for granted today that uh, every product that we shop online for has a video of some sort. You know, kind of a feature benefit or a demonstration. That was not the case ten years ago when the company was founded. When You know, YouTube was just being bought by Google. Retailers were trying to figure out how to get a video on one page, let alone hundreds or thousands of pages in their catalog. So we built a technology platform for delivering those videos and measuring uh, the impact that it has on things like sales and returns. Uh, And then over time, we actually added a highly scalable video production Capabilities. So um, think of Big Warehouse with multiple studios where Home Depot, Toys R Us, JCPenney, big retailers used to send us truckloads of product and we used to produce it high quality, high scale uh, as kind of part of a full solution for them. So I was running that company uh, prior to joining. And then before that, uh, you know, I was at another venture capital firm. I went to business school and worked at Microsoft for a while at product management and I worked at a startup called Software in Austin. Part of that um, have a computer science background, so kind of technical by nature.
0: So you've really seen this industry from pretty much every angle, haven't you? Yeah, uh, both sides of
1: the table, I guess, in that way.
0: So tell us, Eric, how are VC investment strategies adjusting to the changes in the market thanks to COVID? What's changed about how you're doing things?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, I think strategically, uh, you know, we when you think about. Venture capital investing is a long-term proposition, right? You know, most of these funds are structured as 10-year vehicles. or really thinking about long time horizons. And so we still believe that the fundamental themes that we've always been investing in, you know, like digital transformation of large enterprises, um, you know, kind of consumer digital trends and adoption that continues to accelerate, those things still remain true uh, and, in fact, are being accelerated uh, in a lot of cases by, by COVID. But at the end of the day, a lot of companies, especially B2B companies are selling to customers that may be adversely impacted, <laughs> you know, financially, they might be going out of business in certain sectors, they might be just cutting back on their budgets, um, or, or distracted. And so it's, you know, it, we've definitely seen situations where, you know, sales may slow down or pause during this period. But in other cases, they've accelerated and you know, we have companies that are, uh, are growing much faster. Uh, than, uh, prior than we expected prior to, to the pandemic. So um, I wouldn't say it's really changed our strategy. It has definitely uh, started to impact maybe how we start to meet entrepreneurs and, and develop relationships and, part, and partner with them. And, and, but overall, you know, I think it, it is in some ways business as usual. Uh, we've, we've continued to make investments uh, throughout this period. Um, and, uh, but it is becoming more you know we just have to adjust to the, the, the fact that we can't meet people in person.
0: Has your pace of investment slowed or has it even sped up? Yeah.
1: So, um, you know, I'd say when you think about just the different phases of what we've all gone through as a society, um, the first few months, uh, you know, March, April, May timeframe, when everything was starting to um, kind of hit, hit the economy and hit people's lives, we definitely slow down in the sense that we started to focus on our, our, our existing portfolio, help them navigate the uncertainty. Uh, you know, there were government programs like the Paycheck Protection Program or PPP that all of these small companies had to figure out, you know, is this something I, I can take or should I take? You know, there was, it was a pretty dynamic rules changing, you know, by the hour, it seemed. So we had to figure all of that out uh, and be helpful to our portfolio companies as they kind of, you know, made those decisions. And then they also had to make the decisions around you know, what does the rest of the year going to look like? Do, should I make some cuts or furloughs um, to be able to extend my cash runway? Because I don't know, you know, what sales are going to look like and, and how much, um, you know, when I'll be able to go raise another round. So we had those difficult conversations. In some cases, we had companies, you know, have to make difficult choices around layoffs and other things. And, and others, they were actually seeing things accelerated and they had to make investment decisions. So we spent a lot of time kind of internally focused those first few months. And then as the summer progressed and we all got used to zoom and and things like that and and re-engaging with companies we started to get into kind of our normal routines of you know meeting lots of companies in fact i would say we actually have started in some ways we meet more because it's easier to set up a meeting you know through zoom than kind of all the time that it takes to do coffee meetings you can kind of stack them back to back a little bit more efficiently um and so we've continued to have those conversations and we've actually made two investments you know over the summer so things are starting to pick up again, and, and I feel pretty good about it. Like I said, there's certain verticals that are growing faster, and so there's a lot of excitement around certain areas uh, that we continue to kind of look at.
0: Well, the changes that you mentioned, now that you're able to work over Zoom, is that something that you see sticking with uh, even after we start reopening more and getting uh, back to face-to-face? I think there's just a
1: general comfort level on both sides with, with everyone just with a video call. You know, I, I remember pre-COVID people would opt or the default was if we were going to do something remote was not video. It was The default was a phone call or a conference call, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all audio with some maybe screen share. And so, uh, you know, the fact that we're going to, I think that is something that will change. I think video call will be the default uh, mechanism. And then um, especially for the introductory meetings, getting to know you, Type of things. I think you can get some of that upfront with the video call and then the second or third meetings, you know, may become the ones that become face to face. I would say that, you know, what we don't get uh, in all of this is, at least at S3, there's a period like probably in the later stages of diligence where we, we do a, sometimes a full day or a three quarter day meeting to really go deep into a company where our entire partnership usually goes to the offices of a company and gets to meet most of the management team walk the halls, get a sense of the culture, get a sense of the, you know, the energy levels and, and, and how things are done. And, and, you know, just kind of get a, get a feel for, for for not only the environment, but then also the way that the, the executive team interacts with each other, you know, and, and, and how they communicate and, 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 and the like. And, and you, we don't get as much of that in a virtual environment. We, we do the same thing now over Zoom. You get a little bit of that, but it's not the same. And so I hope that we can get back to that. Um, and cause I, I do think that's something that is missing. And we also, you know, we used to also go out to dinner, uh, with the founders. I get to know them on a social kind of personal level, understand kind of their style, their background history their, you know, and, and, and how we might work well together going forward. Investing is very much like dating before you get married. These are sometimes decade long relationships. And so you're trying to understand if you're compatible at a personal level as well. And so that is something that is also no longer viable right now. Uh, And so we've been kind of trying to find the equivalent way of doing that over Zoom, (laughs) you know, like a a Zoom happy hour or Zoom coffee or something like that to just get to know the individuals. But, you know, I'm hoping that that will return as well uh, when we, because that's something that while we're doing that, it's not the same.
0: What makes a, a good investment? Has anything changed about that? And has this opened up some opportunities that you might not have looked at before? I would say that, you know, our strategy hasn't changed too much. So when
1: we think about what makes for a good investment, all those things still hold true in terms of a great team, you know, a product that is solving a real pain point in a very large market, uh, some evidence of traction, um, you know, that gives us a sense of what stage the business is and if it's, you know, a stage that we are ready to invest in or something that we have to wait Uh, to see a little bit more evidence. All of that remains true. Uh, It's just now that the, you know, there's certain different dynamics in different markets. So some markets, the things, you know, those trends have accelerated and we might get more excited about those markets. And then other ones where they are, there might be more uncertainty. Uh, You know, if you're selling into restaurants or bars or, you know, or retail generally, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty or real estate, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of things that, there might be some challenges because those verticals or those industries are going through so much change. You may say now's a great time to invest because of that change, or you may say, "Hey, you know what? We don't know what the future holds. We may have to hold off." So, um, you know, it's no different than what we've always done in terms of how we analyze things. Maybe, but just the the, the individual facts within those markets may be different now. Um, I would also say that you know, because it's not clear what fundraising environment might look like. A year from now, you know, I'd say kind of the the conventional wisdom seems to be now you raise a little bit more. uh, Maybe, you know, definitely get to get 24 months versus 18 months. And so there's little things like that. Uh, I would also say there's a little bit more comfort with distributed teams than before, as you mentioned in your (laughs) in your intro for today's podcast. Right. You know, the kind of prototypical having a bunch of people in a small room together, working together, creating that energy is maybe in some ways ideal. Uh, but uh, that's not the reality of today. There are a lot of successful startups that have been purely remote businesses, and you know, I think it, it's making all of us, at least in our team, a little bit more comfortable with some of those distributed concepts, but we just don't know what the future holds. We don't know if six months from now, a year from now, there are some negatives to that that we have to figure out.
0: What verticals are looking most attractive to you right now? Um, so, you know, what we're finding, uh you know, in you know, we we in fact
1: you know have had companies in our portfolio where their sales have tripled compared to what they planned in January pre-COVID, <laughs> you know, so like it's like they're three times their plan. We also had a company get bought um, you know, over the over the summer by DocuSign. Um and and and, and I think maybe some of that acceleration of that you know acquisition may have been due to COVID. And and it's because I, I the reason I mentioned those things is because. What's really exciting to see is a lot of this digitization of certain workflows or ways companies engage with customers or the way they do training, uh, uh, the way they collaborate, uh, the way healthcare is delivered. All of these things, the digitization of certain industries or certain um, parts of business is just accelerating. Um, you, know, you Things that people were saying, okay, I'll maybe try to do in the next two years, they have to do now or they were forced to do now. Um, And so that that's huge. Right. That totally changes things. And when you think about a startup and you're, you know, every month counts, you're, you know, you're raising money for the next 12 to 18 months and are trying to hit certain milestones. And if suddenly things get pulled forward, even by six months, that's that's huge uh, in our business. So that that is that's really exciting. So when anything that you know, we find that you know if the if the the customer base that they're selling into is still solid, you know, they you know if you're selling into healthcare probably right now, or 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 or, te- or into other technology businesses, or into financial services, those all look pretty vibrant, um, and so you don't have that risk that your customers can't afford you. Um, you know, those all feel like good bets.
0: Well, let's talk about what these startups then need to do to get the attention of investors like yourself. How are early stage companies getting on your radar?
1: Um, you know, it's a lot of the same in and in some of it is different. So I would say what has gone away right now is we don't have the, you know, all the entrepreneur startup events, whether it's happy hours or panels and, and other things, uh, or even like these big summits or, you know, annual kind of get togethers that a lot of cities put together uh, those things have been postponed or gone all virtual. And in, in, in either case, the ability to kind of just network, well, while there are some ways to enable that virtually, and I'm seeing some really creative ways of doing that, it's still kind of not the same, frankly. It doesn't really get us there. Um, there, there are some kind of matchmaking things where investors get matched with startups, which still work well virtually. And you know, I'm grateful that people are still doing that. Um, so we can continue to meet people those ways. But, you know, the kind of, I'm just going to meet someone at a happy hour, uh, you know, that doesn't happen anymore. But a- anything that's digital still works really well, and in some ways might be work better. So, um, you know, LinkedIn is tried and true. I, I, I'm still pretty responsive on LinkedIn. I just ask that people, you know, when they add me, they actually add some context <laughs> in their invite of why they're reaching out. You know, if it's just a regular ad, I'm probably not going to necessarily respond unless it looks interesting. Uh, but, you know, context always helps. But I think reaching out through digital channels is, is still fine. Um, in some ways, because there's less travel, um, you know, I, I'd say investors maybe have a little bit more time. You know, there's, if you think about it, they're not commuting every day and they're not getting on planes to do board meetings and, and things like that. There may be fewer coffee meetings, so less time in the car. So just more time to maybe, yeah, let's schedule a 15 minute quick intro or 30 minute quick intro, even if it's not very clear whether it's a fit or not. Um, and then there are always junior people in all of these firms that whose entire job <laughs> is to to kind of, you know, find new investments. So, um, you know, I think that's still very healthy and very and people are still accessible. It's just kind of in the digital
0: realm. Since these channels are limited because of this, how can companies seeking VC investments actually stand out from their competition? Is there anything that makes them jump out to you?
1: Well, you know, I think the reference, definitely, you know, like if we get referred uh, from a trusted source, whether that is, um, you know, a law firm around town that works with early stage startups, you know, some of the partners there have, uh, you know, are, are definitely very trustworthy individuals that know how to kind of show us businesses that they think are of high quality. And so, you know, we we always take those meetings and, and it could be other, it doesn't have to be the lawyers, but it could be other, you know, other folks in the ecosystem that, that, that refer us business. It could be an angel investor, it could be another seed fund, you know, so those warm introductions. Um, always um, kind of take precedence, I would say. And then, um, you know, if, if it's clear that a company has has a very unique team that is having really great traction in a big market, like I said earlier, and you can demonstrate that or communicate that to us in that outreach, you know, very succinctly, um, you know, that that's, that's important. Um, it could be also through your, um, I'd say, you know, we have a, a team that does a little bit of outbound efforts in the sense that they are looking at um, funding announcements in the press um, or other articles that might be written, you know, or anything that kind of pops up through digital channels, you know, in LinkedIn, they're on the lookout for things that look interesting. And so if you're able to kind of communicate your st- story broadly, uh, you know, maybe it's through those digital channels or the referrals, you know, we, we kind of get wind of things that way.
0: Are there things that the marketing and PR folks at these uh, early stage companies shouldn't do to get your attention?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think gimmicky things, I would, I would focus on real metrics, I guess. So one of the things that I, that I, I think can lead to disappointment. How about this is not, you know, focusing on vanity metrics or exaggerating things just to get the meeting. Right. And that, whether that's marketing or in, in the CEO's outreach in the email even. Right. But what i found sometimes is that, you know, it's, and this is like a lesson in life, right? Like expectations are everything, right? So if I come into a meeting with certain expectations and then I find out that those, you know, that revenue level is really not what I thought it was or, you know, the, this big customer you said you had is really like a proof of concept, you know, and, and, you know, and and like all those kinds of things that are downers because I came in hoping or this, you know, thinking that it's something and it's not um, that, that doesn't really kind of make for a successful first meeting. Uh, much better, I would be, is I would say, is, is transparency and 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 very clear that okay, this is where we are. This is the stage that we're at. You know, we're used to things being messy. We're used to things being not perfect and not uh, and still early in terms of traction. That's not a bad thing. It's just where you are, and and and, and that's fine. And so. The, the big thing for us is, you know, I think like revenue, for instance, you know, recurring revenue is important to a lot of the SaaS businesses, but you'll find that sometimes people will lump in the one-time services revenue in this number to like as a headline number, and then you kind of deconstruct it, and then it does, it's not really at the stage that they proclaimed or, or pilot, one-time pilot revenue or proof of concepts with the big companies that really, you know, you've talked to one guy once, you know, and so, uh, you know, so all of those things, you know, if you're kind of inflating things, Uh, in your outreach, that that's also bad. So, you know, even though it's important to talk about those things and show traction, you know, exaggerating, it doesn't help anything.
0: So what's changed then about messaging for these companies when they're getting started with you or once they've ramped up, what can marketing and PR do to help build the relationship with you and also expand out into the market?
1: Like I said, you know, I mean, the funding announcements and stuff like that are helpful. So, you know, even if you do a seed round with angels or things like that. You know, you making sure that you're at least being picked up by some of the lists that announce things is good because it gets on our radar um, that, from an outbound communication standpoint. Um, and but I think more importantly, um, it's about just actually help the, the most important things that those companies can do is just have traction. Right. So I wouldn't have my marketing people focused on my investor <laughs> relations, right? What I'd what I'd have them do is just make sure that you know, that that you're you're winning customers and they're happy and and and, and in some ways they're cu- the customers um, are then amplifying and, and, su- and supporting your marketing so you, you kind of are growing faster and you have happy customers uh, because a lot of what we do, um, you know, as part of our diligence is to talk to customers um, and or potential prospects, you know, people who you've not mentioned, but, you know, we think are in your market and say, have you heard of this company before? You know, what it, we go to your website you know, go to the website real quick. Tell me what you think about it. Well, if the website doesn't tell the story very clearly, you know, when we're doing that diligence, then, you know, we might get some bad signals. Um, and I think, you know, it, when you think about an early stage business, generally, I, and this is not about investor outreach, but more generally, like what the role of, you know, you know, marketing is in those early days. It's really, I think more about pro- if you're going to have marketing people or marketing sets, you know, it might even be the CEO or the head of product doing this. It's really product marketing. And it's really being able to very clearly articulate, you know, um, you know, the messaging for the different personas and and, and segments that and and being able to have a very clear position. And that's important for fundraising, too. You know, if if it's not if you're not able to communicate as the CEO, you know, what is that clear, unique position? What's that unique way of seeing the world and the opportunity that no one else has seen uh, and, and how you're addressing it, whether it's through the product and or the go to market? Uh, if you can't very clearly articulate that um, to an investor, then I think it's 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 a ch- it's going to be challenging to fundraise. And if the CEO say, let's say it's a technical founder, right, and technical CEO, so where like the the business or the marketing co-founder or uh, or hire can help is making sure that that messaging is very tight, even in the in the pitch deck, right. One of the things I would also say is. You know, don't take your sales deck and, and and I think that's your pitch deck, right? You know, the pitch deck, the investor is a different audience. So if you're not, if you don't, as a founder, have that skill set, I would lean on people on your team or your advisory group, your board, whatever, who could help you articulate and tell that story um, very clearly, succinctly. Um, that's that's a that's a big role that is not outward facing. It's not something that you might see, you know, on social, but it's an importantly important. You know, it's an importantly, it's an important role that that kind of marketing type exec can play in, in the early days.
0: Well, let me open this up to you, Eric. Uh, any last thoughts or takeaways for us? Um, you know, I would just emphasize that, you know, in, in today's world where we can't
1: meet face-to-face all the time and we don't have the opportunity to have a lot of those social interactions as part of this kind of almost like a mating ritual that happens, you know, over, you know, a six-month or a 12-month period before we make an investment sometimes, um, you know, it's important that in those meetings, especially during these meetings that are as part of a diligence process that, you know, a lot of those meetings should not just be about let's just run through the deck, you know, it's, it's about getting to know each other, you know, I would I would actually space out the meetings, even if they're 30 minute meetings to make sure that those first five minutes are a little bit of chit chat, right, your small talk, where you get to know each other, you get a sense of who the other person is, um, and you can find ways to connect with the individuals um, at the beginning of these meetings and, and take the time to do the intros um, because you don't get to do that. I mean, those are things that naturally happen in face-to-face meetings that sometimes get left out. I've noticed in these Zoom meetings, people just kind of jump into, <laughs> like, let's look at the deck. And, and so that, that, that is a piece of advice I'd give folks.
0: Well, this definitely is a, a human-to-human connection that has to be made. Because as you said, this is almost like a marriage. It's long term.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I've been talking with Eric Engineer, venture partner with S3 Ventures of Austin, Texas. Thanks for being here, Eric. Thanks, Peter. It was a lot of fun. And thank you for joining us. Lay of the Brand is brought to you by Merit Group, an integrated strategic communications firm that blends the best of PR, marketing, and creative to help our clients tell their stories and build business. Got a topic suggestion or want to share feedback with us? Subscribe to Lay of the Brand on your preferred listening platform and leave us a review. And please spread the word and tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. To learn more about Merit Group, check out layofthebrand.com.